Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reborn podcast, the show designed to help you keep a pulse on the fast-changing world of brick and mortar. As the world reopens and operators race to meet the rising expectations and demands of experience-driven post-COVID consumers, it's more important than ever to stay ahead of the curve and understand the trends and technologies that will shape the future. In each episode, we'll interview successful operators, subject matter experts, and leading thought leaders who will share their insight to help you prepare yourself and your organization for what lies ahead. Here's your host, Bobby Marhamat, CEO of Radiant. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Mina Fader, who is a managing director of Baker Retailing Center, the Wharton School of UOP. Mina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know how busy things can get. So again, thank you so much for taking the time. I know our listeners are really going to be excited to hear a lot. You have a great history of different areas of retail that you've been in. So looking forward to having the discussion here. Well, let's get started. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then what brought you to, uh, you know, really kind of joining the Wharton Baker Retailing Center and, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So mine is not a typical uh, career path in retail or pretty much in anything else, I would say. I received my MBA from the Wharton School. I've been involved with Wharton for a very long time between my being at Penn, you know, working after my MBA and also just being part of the marketing department at Wharton because of my husband who's on the faculty over there. So I've had 30 some odd years of the Wharton School experience ad hoc, but really my training is as a CFO. And my roles as CFO have been for pretty much private companies, but very, very large ones, including the University of Pennsylvania, as well as a very large local construction company here in Philadelphia. And I was ready to go ahead and retire when a marketing faculty person came up to me and asked if I would be the managing director of the Wharton Baker Retailing Center, which is completely out of my wheelhouse. So I thought, because I was always in this role of, I call it lovingly a CF no role to being in a position where I could say yes to a lot of things and be really much more outward facing. And it was just such a great opportunity for me to be able to combine my love for Wharton as well as my love in the retail industry, because it was really the superstars in retail were kind of my movie stars my entire life. So I always had a very strong interest in retail and I was able to really take advantage of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit more about the Wharton Baker Retailing Center. Sure. So most people think of the Wharton School as being, you know, a school that really focuses on finance. And we're so great at finance and bringing out the best students that are out there in finance, the faculty in finance. But what's really great about Wharton is that it's much more well-rounded than that. And we have all of these centers where we really focus on combining the industry side along with the academic research side to come up with a more robust view of business overall. And that's exactly what the Baker Retailing Center is. Jay and Patty Baker endowed the center close to 20 years ago when Jay retired from being the president of Kohl's. And he turned Kohl's from being a smaller department store to being one with thousands of stores where people were able to go to a department store without going to a mall. So these Kohl's stores were located somewhere between where you live and the mall. And it allowed for convenience and it allowed for an innovative way to look at retail at that time. And what he wanted to do was be able to 
get more people from Ivy League schools and other prestigious organizations to join the retail industry and educate people about that. And that's what he did by creating the Baker Retailing Center. So our focus is really on not only supporting the industry by allowing the industry to get together and talk in smaller groups more openly about what's going on in their business and the challenges that they may be having, but also introduce students to the industry overall so that they understand that retail isn't just about you know, fashion or just about apparel, but it's a much broader topic than that. And to encourage our faculty to do research associated with retail that would be mutually beneficial for the industry as well as for our faculty. So that's kind of the intersection that we look to work in and to facilitate. That's great. That's great. And for perspective, like a retailer can come join the retailing center and and learn more or, or how do people interact with the retailing center? Well, first of all, if you have an interest in retail, this is not just for Penn students or for Wharton students overall. It is for the retail industry overall. And so we have a lot of people that are friends of ours, as well as on our boards, that have no affiliation with the university whatsoever, but have an interesting perspective on retail. And so please get in touch with me, email me. You can find my contact information if you go to our Baker Retailing site, and I'd be happy to connect. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Seems like not only is it kind of uh, accentuating and continuing to, to do research around the retail side, but also bringing people together. I love that. That's great. Yeah. And if you take a look at our boards, we have three boards. One's a digitally native board. One is more of a legacy board. And another one is out in the West Coast. I would say that at least half of the people that are on our boards don't have any affiliation with the university, but they're people that are interesting and are leaders in the field. That's great to know. So with you know the research and everything that you're seeing in the industry, share with us some of the most interesting research that you've seen. Well, What I love about the research that we see is that it's been broad, it's been multifaceted, and it's been very connected. There have been things that people have focused on at the school and the university as it relates to payment systems, interesting research on the supply chain side, and the idea of the importance of what I would call the omni-channel or specifically the online areas within retail. Some things that I can talk about is one of the studies that have been done by one of our professors in the operations area by Santiago Galino has been this research as it relates to what kinds of experiences are important on the online side. How important is web speed, as an example, to customers staying with you or abandoning carts and things like that? And they've actually quantified if your web it slows down by X percent, how much you actually lose in sales, whether it be in the acquisition costs or in abandoning carts. And so it's very quantitative and it's been interesting to see in this world when we've gone from being more focused on the online side, the importance of learning from our brick and mortar business. I'll call it brick and mortar right now. Um, people don't necessarily like that term versus <laughs> what's versus the e-commerce side. And basically what customers are asking for are very similar across both. The difference is how quickly, because you know, in-store experience, a few minutes may feel like forever, but a few seconds is immediate. Whereas on a web browser or anywhere on e-commerce, a few seconds feels like days. So Absolutely. 
it's interesting to see that. You know, and then the other areas have been things that you don't necessarily think of as being retail, but it very much is. The studies from some of our biological scientists and natural scientists people in terms of creating things like vegan leather or the idea of sustainability and the impact of sustainability overall and what that means in terms of the retail business and in terms of basically the apparel business and things like that. So it's been interesting to see how retail has really blurred the lines between all of these different areas of research. And what do you see as you think about, see, a lot of discussion right now these days around that convergence of online, offline. I want that same experience if I'm walking into a store versus, you know, buying from that same brand online. Any sort of research, any sort of, you know, focus on, you know, kind of that convergence or what's happening to kind of bring online, offline worlds together for retailers? Yeah, I mean, this idea of connectivity in the world of online and offline being two separate entities, it just isn't working for the consumer, right? It's the idea that everything needs to be one. If I'm a consumer, I don't necessarily care if you tell me you can't get this online, that I care that I need to be able to get it regardless of whether it's from the store or whether it's online. For instance, we want to make sure that the supply chain is such that we can see everything across both. I just want it. And it doesn't matter to me whether you get it from the store or you get it online. And so we want to make sure that that experience is seamless for the consumer. That's been such an important piece to what we've learned as we think through even these COVID days. And I know people are tired about talking about COVID, but one of the things we learned in there is that it's important to have that seamless experience. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. How, you know, retails, of course, you know, it continues to change and evolve. But over the last few years, of course, we've seen it change even more so than before. How would you summarize, you know, where retail is today? Well, it's changed so much. I mean, if you go back 15 years ago, when the direct-to-consumer side was just starting off, we think people were saying the whole world is going to be going, it's going to be 85% online and only 15% brick and mortar. And this whole world is going to be turned upside down. So what I would say in general is from a really big picture perspective, retail hasn't changed that much. Consumers haven't changed that much. They want to purchase. They like the social aspects of purchasing. They like the social aspects of shopping, whether that is online or whether that is in person. And in terms of what that experience is, I think in general, things are the same. I've always wanted to have a very well-versed sales associate. I've always wanted to make sure that I could get product when I want it. I've always wanted to be able to go for the experience of touching and feeling. And I don't think that's changed. It's now just a question of how we're doing it slightly differently, whether we're looking at it online and therefore visually our website needs to be a certain way, or whether we're going into a store and therefore the store needs to be merchandised and designed in a certain way. So maybe I'm a contrarian here, but in general, I would say retail is very much the same as it always has been. It's just the mechanisms in which we do it has been different. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And the ways that we interact with brands, yeah, absolutely makes sense. What excites you most about the retail landscape? You know, you've been in it, you're now doing a bunch of research and bringing people together. What's the most exciting part? Well, I think from when I think of the younger generation and these students that are graduating from school, I think what they're looking at right now, how they're interacting with each other has changed so much. Whether we're talking about, you know, the world of TikTok, the world of social media, the world of influencers, all of those kinds of things are, that's the new vocabulary that's out there in our day-to-day lives. And I think what people are seeing and what makes retail so interesting is that I think nowadays, People are thinking of retail differently. They're understanding much more now that retail is much more than just 
as I said before, how do I buy this piece of clothing or how do I make this computer? And it's much more about life. I mean, it's such a big part of who we are. And retail, I mean, it can go from grocery shopping to regular store purchasing. It could be retail, could be the hospitality industry. So what excites me now is that people's acceptance and understanding that retail is a very big, broad topic. Absolutely. Yes. And as we talk to a bunch of retailers, it's interesting to see how the landscape, you know, there's D2C entities that are now really looking at how do you kind of extend their brands into, you know, in-store experiences like you talked about. There's in-store companies that have traditionally been in-store that, have, that were forced during COVID to go kind of online and kind of figure out how to have that kind of seamless shopping, the way to shop and interact with those brands. And what's amazing to see is that the landscape, like, like you talked about, people still want to shop. They still want to kind of interact and have that social aspect, but the ways that they want to kind of interact with brands has, has, has changed a little bit. And we're going to see that continue probably change, but it's one of those things that I think we're still going to have a mechanism of that online offline coming together even though, again, a lot of uh, focus and concentration on, on online, I think you know the two kind of work together to really bring that experience for consumers. Yeah, and I think the other side that's happening on the retail world is this idea of social purpose and the importance of social purpose. And to be able to do this in an authentic way is something that's been resonating very strongly with our consumers and with everybody. It's not just our consumers, because everybody's a consumer, right? You take a look at the younger generation and what they care about and where they're going to go ahead and make their purchases or actually just affiliate with, even if it's not a purchase. And you're finding that those kinds of broader environmental government issues overall are people are passionate about. And it's nice to see that that's happening on the business side as well. Absolutely. Mina, as you come across a lot of research and you talk to a lot of retailers, one of the questions that we get from retailers is, you know, I, I survived during COVID. How do I now, you know, get to a place where I start to thrive again? And, and what's the future of retail for me, et cetera? So what's, what are some pieces of advice that you have for folks looking to really start to grow now as we come, hopefully coming out of COVID? Several things on that. One would be to be open-minded, be willing to listen to the consumer, understand that there is a new generation of consumers out there who may be thinking about things slightly differently. And find a way to evaluate those differences and embrace those changes that take place. Because like I said, big picture, I don't think things are changing that much, but it's more of the day-to-day kinds of things that really make a difference. And I think it's important for people to listen and evaluate those kinds and embrace those changes. And the other piece is that there's a lot of data out there. And I think in general, retailers historically have been much more about gut. It's been much more about, you know, we'll tell you what's going on and you and the consumer then decide that you like it. And I think that has changed. The model is much more about consumers tell us what they're interested in. And then we as retailers kind of follow along what they're interested in. So value the data, look at the analytics and be accountable for all of that. Makes sense. I think one of the things that we learned from uh, you know, some of our customers was that they said one of the you know things that happened during kind of the COVID days as they went online is they got access to more data. What are the you know the SKUs that they sell the most? What are the most popular? What are the least popular? Be able to merchandise, even use that data to build merchandise their stores in a better way to be able to interact with their customers that want to shop with them. So I completely agree with you. I think data is key here and using that to be able to both listen to customers on the context side, but also look at the data and be able to bridge those two together. 
to make yeah. it a great experience. Yeah. And what that also then means is from a hiring standpoint for retailers, they're probably going to be hiring another group of people that probably are outside of what retailers traditionally had hired for. I think you're going to be talking about more technology people, you know, and those kinds of areas where the skill sets may be different than what they've been used to hiring historically. Absolutely. Awesome, Tina. Well, my last question for you, you know, if you had a crystal ball, what are the next three to five years in retail look like? I know you said, you know, that we're not going to, we haven't seen too many changes, but what do you think the future looks like? Yeah. So like I said, too many changes, meaning the really big picture of retail, that doesn't change. People are still interested in the same kinds of things. But I do think that when you dig deeper, those aspects are actually going to change significantly. And one of the things I think that's going to be happening is that retail is is broadening more so than what it was before. I think that it's going to look very different in the sense that the boundaries of what retail is are going to blur much more. So I think that, for instance, I think there is the quote-unquote retailization of healthcare that I see where we take a look at our younger generation. And while they talk about all these things and they care about healthcare and and all of those other aspects, when you actually take a look at whether they take care of themselves, they're not going to see their regular doctors annually doing those kinds of things as others have done. And so I think there's going to be a retail aspect of that, a convenience aspect of that. The idea of what that experience is going to look like is going to be different. And I'm thinking that you're going to see a lot of these healthcare things be in retail malls. You kind of see that happening right now with all these urgent care facilities and the locations of them are kind of near what I would call shopping areas and things like that. I do think that there's also going to be a change in terms of the blending of domestic versus outside of U.S., you know, global retail. I think that those lines are blending and merging very much right now. You have all of these online places and you don't know if you're purchasing it from the United States or from someplace else. And I don't know if you necessarily, you're not only not aware of it, but from a delivery standpoint, from a quality standpoint, and they're equally as good. And so I think there are a lot of these things where we're going to become much more global without us even knowing about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mina, that was a wealth of information. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you. I very much enjoyed it. Look forward to doing this again sometime soon. Likewise. Awesome. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.